So, uh, if you had told me late last March that by the time we get to Christmas Eve, we would still be enduring the pandemic, my eyes would have grown very wide, and I would have said, please, dear God, let it not be so. And yet here we are, fully nine months later. It took me eight months to find a mask I liked. (laughs) Nine months later, and all along, we have been constantly here at church, and I imagine in your context as well, reinventing things, adjusting things, pivoting, as they say, oftentimes feeling a bit overwhelmed and powerless to make any difference at all in things. Powerless, overwhelmed, and wishing you could get through something that is difficult so you could get to the other side of it? My guess that's, is that that is very much how the people of Israel felt in the first century when this Christmas story unfolded. The nation of Israel was occupied by a foreign pagan government. We are oppressed and occupied by a pandemic and all the challenges that come with that. They imagine a day when God would send a Messiah to vanquish their enemies. We imagine a day when the virus will be defeated and we can get back to some semblance of a normal life. They had lost loved ones to the brutality of the Roman Empire. We have lost loved ones to the brutality of the pandemic. That's not all we've lost. We've lost the freedom to spend time with people we love. We may have lost income or jobs, all sorts of things. It's been a difficult time. They and we have both cried out for God to deliver us. I think the same was true for every single person that we just met or re-met in that video presentation. They were all, in a sense, powerless to change anything, from Mary all the way to the wise men. And yet they all played a part in the coming of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. The fancy $5 theological word for that, of Jesus, of God becoming flesh, is the Incarnation. The incarnation. Literally, it means the taking on of flesh or the enfleshment. And the incarnation is a profound mystery. And to say that it's a mystery is not to say that it's unknowable. To say that it's a profound mystery is to tell us that it is, is in fact, infinitely knowable. There's no end to its depth and meaning and beauty and what, what it can reveal to us about God's nature. There is no end to the possibility of fresh revelations of its power and truth either. So it seems to me that something so profound and endlessly mysterious and beautiful can have surprises for us each year if we let it. If not entirely new revelations, perhaps a deeper understanding or a deeper experience of past revelations. But as profoundly beautiful and powerful as the incarnation is, I am struck this year... I am struck this year by its very small beginnings. If we consider the people whose stories we revisited tonight, Mary, Joseph, the innkeeper, shepherds, wise men, all of them are small in one way or another, and all of them are insignificant. Mary is a young Jewish girl, a powerless and unimportant person in the ancient world. It was unthinkable for her to give birth to God in the flesh, the Son of God, and to raise Him. Joseph is a carpenter in Nazareth. Nazareth It was a backwater town. Early in the Gospels, someone finds out that Jesus is from Nazareth, and the first thing he says is, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Perhaps it's the way some people think about New Jersey today. I don't know. Never been there. 
The innkeeper, as we saw, doesn't get the attention or recognition he deserves for his role in things and for his now famous uttered line. Add to that, he, all he has to offer that night, all he has to offer God in the flesh was a stable, a feeding trough, some animals, and maybe some fresh hay. The shepherds are a despised group of people. Riffraff, looked down upon as the lowest of the low in society, not people not to be trusted. Even the town of Bethlehem was small and of little importance, save that it was the birthplace of King David, a towering figure in Israel's history. The Gospel of Matthew quotes from the prophet Micah in the Hebrew Scriptures, where he speaks of a messianic ruler who will come from Bethlehem. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Were it not for the connection to the birth of Christ, none of the characters we visited with tonight are that important at all. Not even the city of Bethlehem. But what about the Magi? The wise men, the kings, surely it seemed to us they had a pretty high opinion of themselves. They thought they were significant and important. And in their own context, they may have been, but not in that context. They were foreigners. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. They practiced religion of Zoroastrianism, which is hard to say, fun to say, and a funny word, Zoroastrianism. There we go. Which means they looked at the stars to see how the stars aligned, and in that they would see the foretelling of important earthly events. So maybe they were well-respected in their own land. In fact, I'm sure they were. But not in the eyes of Israel. In the eyes of Israel, they practiced a false religion and were not included in the blessings that God had given to Israel, historically speaking. So they, too, in their own way, were a small, unlikely beginning. So yes, the most profound event in all of history up to that point, the God of the universe coming down to become a part of his creation so that he could save his creation, that event took place among insignificant and powerless people who were barely a blip on the radar, not even a blip on the radar. Put another way, the incarnate God was conceived, birthed, nourished, raised, and born witness to from day one, from day one, by people and in places that simply didn't matter. But that, that is where God likes to start. That is where God does some of his best work. That is the, the raw material of God's plan and, and purpose. The soil into which the mystery of the incarnation is sown. God gets things done in and through people and things and places that do not matter that much. That are not that important in the eyes of the world though all of them were important in God's eyes. I'm going to nerd out. Just a few days ago, galaxy GN711 was spotted by astronomers. It is, they think, the oldest and farthest galaxy ever, galaxy ever observed. So on the left is the galaxy GNZ11. And on the right is our pale blue dot where that arrow is pointing. That is a photograph that was taken in 1990 by Voyager 1 as it sailed past Neptune, turned around and looked back at the Earth, which appears to be in a shaft of light there. These two places, the one on the left, the galaxy, and the one on the right, us, are 13.4 billion light years apart. Put another way, if we were to try to go from here to there, 
It would take us 13.4 billion years to get there if we could travel at the speed of light. And we can't. Yet. The universe is a huge place. And we are very small in it. And if we were to zoom in a bit on that pale blue dot, we would find other dots on top of that dot, and those dots would be us. We too are rather small and insignificant in the grand scheme of the grand scheme of the universe, and yet this is where God likes to work. We are the raw material of God's plans and purposes. We we are the soil into which the mystery of the incarnation is sown. God gets things done in and through people and things that simply do not matter, that are not that important in the eyes of the world. But we are all important to God. You are important to God. You are important to God. And the promise of the incarnation, the coming of God in the flesh to us in the infant Jesus, the promise is that God wants to do a work in you and me too. So likely, there are three kinds of people who are worshiping with us tonight, here in the room or online. Three kinds of people. There there are those of us who know the truth of Christmas and we seek to live our lives in partnership with the Spirit of God in the way that the one whose birth we celebrate tonight would want us to live. We try to do that. That's one group of people. Then there are those who, who, who know the truth of Christmas but have yet to fully step into that partnership with God. That is, at one time they made, uh, may have made a, a commitment to Christ in faith when they were younger, but they've not sought to live according to his teaching about the kingdom of God, the way of life in the world, as God would have us live it. And then there are this other group, those for whom all of this is new, those, those who have not come to know and experience the love, grace, and forgiveness of God in Christ, those who have not yet tasted the new life that God in Christ offers us. Whichever group, whichever one of those groupings that you find you most identify with, God's promises to all of us are the same. God is with us. God is with you. And God wants to work in each of us. He wants to transform your life in the here and now as well as in the hereafter. So where in your life do you personally long for a change? Where in your relationships, where in your knowledge of God and the, His ways, where in your work life or your family life, or, or your sense of purpose and meaning in the universe, where do you long for change? Where do you hunger and thirst for change? It begins with humility and boldness. It involves admitting that we, we need to change, that we need to go in a different direction in life, or perhaps more intentionally go in the right direction, and we're already sort of headed in that way. We be, need to be more intentional about it. It means going against the flow. It means being willing to discover liberating truths about ourselves that may be difficult to hear at first, but are nonetheless good, important, and, and life-giving. And if that is you, then I invite you to pray along with me here in just a minute. And in addition, if you want to take a more intentional step into your own faith development, I do invite you, as we did earlier, to join us for worship each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., in person here or online. Then on January 10th, we'll begin a new series of teaching on what it means to live the good and beautiful life, the, the abundant life, the eternal life that God promises in Christ, that Jesus teaches us to live. You can simply 
worship with us and be a part of that process as we go through it, or you can take part in a book study that goes along with our Sunday morning worship. If you want to find out more, you can go to ecclife.net slash connect and click on the blue button there that says the good and beautiful life. For all who may have thought that we had to wait, that we had to wait until we died in order to experience the kingdom of God, this teaching will be for you because it's good news. We do not have to wait. We can experience abundant, eternal kingdom life in the now. And we hope you'll join us as we discover that. Would you pray with me before we sing together Silent Night in our traditional candlelight service? And again, if you are one in particular who finds yourself in that third group or maybe that second group, and you long for a change in your life, would you, uh, I'll, I'll pray slowly just in your own heart and mind silently pray along with me. I'll pause in places for you to do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God of wonder and majesty in the miracle of Christmas. God of small beginnings and tremendous possibilities. I come to you as one who longs for change. Change in me and change in the way I live my life. I trust that you have in store for me a better life. In the life to come and in the here and now. I choose to surrender to you now, trusting in the gift of your Son, Jesus, and believing that you love me, that you will never leave me or forsake me. I am sorry for the wrongs I've done, and I want to come clean with you about them. Rather than justify myself or make excuses or blame others, I choose to freely admit my wrongs, to ask for your forgiveness, and to receive the promise of eternal life now and the power to change. God, give me wisdom and strength and boldness. Give me faith to take whatever next steps you are calling me to take that I may enter fully into your kingdom and enjoy the good and beautiful life, the life that you have in store for me. God, I ask your blessing on all who may have prayed that prayer, that you would lead them to the next step, that you would comfort them in their longing, that you would show them your way. In Christ's name, amen. We are now going to sing together and participate.